are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So over the last uh, several years, our church has had a partnership with the Southwestern Native American District of the Church of the Nazarene. Many of these churches are right there on the reservation, and many of you have traveled either to Arizona or to New Mexico to serve the people in those churches. And uh, if you haven't traveled to do that, there will be more trips coming up, and I would encourage you to take advantage of one. So you've helped with uh, training pastors. We've had great success with that. Many of you have been part of teams who have prepared or delivered firewood um, you've helped local churches with projects they needed help on, and it's been uh, great to see what God is doing, you know, on that district. And I'm so grateful that you continue to give and that you continue to help out. The first time I went was several years ago. I was with uh, Jacob and Ethan actually on that trip, and I flew into Phoenix by myself. I arrived a little late and um, got on a rented a car and took the drive from Phoenix up to Flagstaff beautiful. You just are moving an elevation the entire time. And then we finally get over into Cameron. There was a church there that we were serving. And after a couple of days of working, we decided to take a break and go over to the Grand Canyon. So how many of you have seen the Grand Canyon? Probably in this part of the country. A lot of you have. And a lot of you are just too sleepy to raise your hand, maybe. But anyway, um, I remember standing there at the rim of the Grand Canyon. And my first thought was, no wonder they call it grand. I mean, it was amazing. I brought one picture, and this would be a lot like um, the rim that we were standing at, the north rim, I think, of the picture that you would have seen if you had looked into it. 277 miles long, at the widest, 18 miles, and at the deepest, almost a mile deep. Think about it. Did you know that it wasn't always called the Grand Canyon? You know that at one time it was called the Big Canyon. Guess who first called it the Grand Canyon in 1869? John Wesley. True story. John Wesley Powell was his name. He was a hero of the Civil War, a one-armed guy. And he coined the phrase Grand Canyon, and it seemed to stick since 1869. It's been what they've gone with since then. And so when we think about things that we see that are impressive or unimpressive, we typically use adjectives to describe them, right? And so I remember standing there that day thinking, I like it. Grand is a good word. I mean, it is grand. It's incredible. I'd never seen it before. So let me give you another word, another noun, and I want you to come up with the adjective, and you can shout it out from where you are if you want to. But if I said to you, I want you to give me a good adjective that describes this noun. Are you ready for it? Give me a great adjective that describes the word grace. I, I don't think I could hear you. Did somebody say something? Amazing. I think it's a great adjective to describe grace. Here's what I'm hoping. They're going to walk out of the room today and you're going to have a different idea in your mind of the concept of the fact that grace is truly amazing. 
Do you know who wrote the song Amazing Grace a little over 200 years ago? His name is uh, um, John Newton, was John Newton. It's probably the most popular religious song, Christian song that there is. Anybody know what John Newton did for a living? He traded slaves. That's right. So the guy who wrote the hymn that we love so much, Amazing Grace, was actually a slave trader. Beyond that, he was the captain of a slave ship. And so here's what would happen. John Newton would pull up to the coast of West Africa. They would capture men and women against their will, of course. They would put them on John Newton's boat, giving them very little to eat on the journey. They would arrive at Great Britain and they would sell them into slavery. However, one night there was a great storm on the sea and John Newton thought it was the end of his life, which resulted in him turning to God, asking Jesus to become his savior, to become a Christian and to turn from his life of sin. He immediately began to repent for his involvement in slave trade. He left that life completely and became an Anglican pastor and then became a mentor for a man whose name was William Wilberforce who ended up leading the, the abolishment of slavery in the British Empire. And now I think the words may mean something a little more Profound to you when you think about John Newton writing the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was so lost. I was so confused. I was so mean. My heart was filled with evil. But now I'm found. I was so blind. Why couldn't I see? But now I see. So what he did was he heard Jesus call him. Get this. He up and leaves his life as he was living it and the life that he knew. He completely walked away from it. And he began this journey with Jesus, who is the way to God, who is the truth, who is the life. And he begins this journey of grace, leaves life as he has been living it all of these years, leaves life as he knows it, leaves his career and says, from now on, Jesus, I'm going to journey with you. I'm following you wherever you take me. And he begins to journey this life with Jesus. And so last week, I talked to you about a book that I'd read recently. Let me put the picture of the book on the screen, Way, Truth, Life, Discipleship as a Journey of Grace by David Busick, a former pastor of this church. And as I began to read the book, I began to realize that it had great value to us as a church. And I would love for you to buy the book and read the book with me as we go through this series. Today, we're in chapter one, next week two, all the way to chapter six. I want you to join me on the journey. And what we talked about last week were three words. The first word is journey. 
It's a matter of a person hearing Jesus call and saying, okay, I'm leaving the life that I've been living and now I'm gonna walk with you, Jesus, on this journey. Another word for journey is discipleship. And we understand in the New Testament, a disciple is not someone who simply wants to learn from the rabbi's teaching. But it's somebody who says, I wanna become like the rabbi. And so we talk about the goal of discipleship is to become like Jesus. And you may say, Rick, It seems impossible for me to become like Jesus. Do you know me? And that's why we call it a journey of grace, believing that God is gonna transform our lives, making us more like Jesus every day along the way. And so I'm gonna give you some words from Dr. Busick, okay? This just kind of sets the pace for where we're headed today. The life of discipleship is a journey of grace. It begins with grace is empowered by grace and is infused with grace from start to finish. This is John Newton's story. The grace of God reached him. It began with grace. He was empowered by grace to live the life that he came to live. And his life was infused with grace from start to finish. This is my story. You may say that, Rick, it's my story too. It, It began with grace. God reached down to me. He forgave me this free gift of eternal life. He, he gave me. I was empowered by grace to live this life, and my life has been infused with grace from the very beginning to the very end. I can't take any credit for anything. It's all God's work in me and through me. It's also Paul's story in the Bible, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. His story is a story of grace. Grace found him. Grace empowered him. His whole life was infused by God's grace from start to finish. And I want to tell you his story, but I'll let him tell you in his own words, okay? He shares it when he writes the first letter to Timothy. Timothy was like a co-worker, like a son in the faith, a young man that Paul spent his life mentoring. And so Paul would travel to this community and he would begin to talk to people about Jesus and people would put their faith in Jesus and become believers. And, and then he would, after a while, appoint an overseer and he would go to another place and plant another church and appoint an overseer there and go to another place and appoint an overseer there. He did that with a city called Ephesus and there was a strong group of believers in Ephesus, a church there. And one day Paul learns that the church in Ephesus has false teachers they're, they're teaching stuff that isn't sound doctrine. And so he says, hey, Timothy, I need you to go to Ephesus and take care of the problem there. And so Timothy does. Paul also writes a letter to him, and that's First Timothy, telling him how to deal with the problem of false teaching. And by telling his own story, Paul is able to help them understand that sound teaching always comes back to this, Nobody is out of the reach of the grace of God. So let me read to you from verse 12 of chapter one, okay? He first says, let's deal with the problem, and then he gives the example of his own life. I thank God, I thank rather Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. He's talking about this life I used to live and then I saw this great light on the Damascus road and God spoke to me and he called me to his service, okay? Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, I was a violent man. 
I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance, meaning I didn't even realize what I was doing. Like the people at Jesus' crucifixion when Jesus said, they don't know what they're doing. And I didn't believe in Jesus. What happened? What changed his life? Paul says, well, I'll tell you what happened. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. I love this. Paul says, you know what changed in my life? God just poured his grace out on me abundantly, like, like pouring syrup on a pancake. Okay, you didn't go for that. Let me try another one. Like, like the chocolate fountain at the Golden Corral. Oh, I knew you'd go for that, yeah. Oh, well, I tried. You're a hard group to make laugh. I'm just gonna level with you. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he said, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. In other words, Paul says, I became the poster child for the most unlikely person in the world to become a Christian. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And the people said, amen. I'm always interested in how we name our kids. So it's, it's often that you'll, you'll name a child because a name is significant. Like my grandfather had this name and so we're gonna name our son this name. We wanna keep it in the family. Or, or just because there's something about the person maybe that you name them after. Annette and I were in a restaurant recently and the gal who came to serve us at our table said, um, I'm McCartney and I'll be taking care of you tonight. McCartney. So she walked away and we began to talk about her name. Beautiful name for a girl, we thought. And so when she came back, I said, um, we've never, never met a McCartney before. Your, your parents will take a stab at it. We're fans of the Beatles. And she said, exactly. They wanted a boy to name Ringo. <laughs> but when I came along being a girl, they said, McCartney will do. And so I'm McCartney. You notice we name our kids after names that live positive impressions, right? So in other words, um, like when we look at Bible names, we name them Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Timothy, Andrew. Um, we try to avoid names like Judas. We go for more positive effects. But I totally get it. When somebody names their daughter Grace, Here's looking at you, Gracie. It's an awesome name. Do you know what it means? Favor, blessing. And so for hundreds of years in society other than ours, people have named their daughters Grace. When, when I think about Paul's life, there, there is nothing, there is nothing that I can think of that describes what has happened to him by the power of God any better than I can by using the name grace. Nothing. 
So Paul talks about it. I read it to you a few moments ago, but listen to the words again. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent man. I was the worst of sinners. If you want to talk about all the sinners I'm aware of, I would say I was the worst of sinners. In fact, I think it deserves our time to read to you what he said to King Agrippa when he stood on trial at Rome talking about his past. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I hated that name. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. Listen to this. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In other words, I voted they should die. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. I mean, when I think about all the things that I can say about this guy, I can't think of anything good to say about him. In fact, when, when God got a hold of Paul and he experienced God's grace on that Damascus road and he goes to Ananias, God does, and he says, go to the house on Straight Street and pray with a guy named Saul of Tarshish. Ananias said, I don't want to do that. Don't make me because, I mean, this guy has a bad dude. He, you know, all the people that he has harmed, your holy people in Jerusalem, and now he comes on the authority of the chief priest. He wants to arrest people like me. I don't want to go. I'm afraid of him. We've seen another level of evil in our world recently. You want to talk about somebody who was evil? He said, I was a violent person. But God not only calls him, and he not only becomes a believer, but he is so transformed that he becomes an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he becomes an evangelist. He becomes maybe the most effective missionary who has ever lived in the history of the world besides Jesus. And he plants churches all over the world. And that Bible that you carry around with you, the New Testament, half of the books in there he wrote. And I think what it does is it says to you and me, if God can change his heart, if the grace of God can reach this guy, then the grace of God can reach anybody. You, you may have somebody that you're praying for right now and you just say, I don't know. I don't even know if God's grace can reach them. I don't see them ever changing. Let me tell you something. If God can change his heart, he can change that person's heart you're praying for. You may be here this morning and you may be looking at me and you may be saying, Rick, I'm not a follower of Jesus and I don't know. Some days I wonder if I'll ever be reached by God's grace. Let me tell you, if God can reach Paul, God can reach you. Here's what it does for us. In Paul's story, the myth that being good enough is the way to salvation is completely debunked. 
In Paul's story, this idea that if I can just be good enough and try hard enough and get better, okay, then maybe I'll get good enough that God will accept me and I too can become a Christian. I can be saved. I can be forgiven of my sins and I can go to heaven too one day. In Paul's story, that myth of being good enough is the way to salvation. It's completely destroyed because there is nothing good you can say about Paul. He's a bad dude with no intention of changing. And so this idea that if I can just get better, maybe I can be good enough for God to save me, it gets totally destroyed. There's no truth to it at all. It's by grace. God's unmerited favor, his undeserved love. Paul Paul got it. He one day said, by grace, I am what I am. That's the only thing that happened to me. It's God's grace. It's the essence of the Christian message. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And let me tell you something. These days, I'm hearing story after story after story of people who are being transformed by the power of God. They're saying yes to Jesus. I sat with a lady this week and she told me the story of her son. And she said, I just, I just never, just, I prayed. My faith wasn't always strong when I prayed. But I want to tell you, my son has come to Jesus and he is growing in his faith like you wouldn't believe. He sends me verses every morning. I talked with a lady this week who said, my grandson has been just out there for so long. He has come to Jesus. You wouldn't believe the difference in his life. Did you know that in a staff meeting just a few days ago, we celebrated the fact that nine people that we just know right here through the ministry of the church have made professions of faith and turned to Jesus. I'm telling you, God is doing something. He's reaching people with his grace. So I think the question is, as recipients of grace, how do we respond I went uh, just this week uh, to, to my daughter, Morgan, who is a cosmetologist. She cuts hair, and I got a haircut. So I'm sitting in her chair, and she's cutting my hair, and she says to me, she says, Dad, your hair is totally gray. And I said, um, so you're seeing some gray streaks through my hair, are you? And she said, no, it's totally gray. I... I don't see what she's seeing. I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I see there's some gray, but I, I keep, I'm seeing kind of sandy brown is what I'm seeing, you know? And this girl walks by who works there and she says to her, hey, what color is my dad's hair? And the girl says, gray. You know what I thought to myself? You could use a little grace delivering that statement, okay? <laughs> Thinking about my sermon. I mean, I, I think it was the lighting, maybe, and the lighting in here I think is not good either. Most places it's not great. But I really do. I think Sandy Brown. I, and so they're, they're saying, no, it's, it's, it's gray. I'll tell you what I did read in the Bible just this week. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. I was sitting with a guy who was a lot younger than me in the break room the other day. I just had a birthday, and so I'm a little sensitive. 
He said, how old are you? I said, 62. He says, you look good for 62. You're in good shape. I said, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, I want him to be my new best friend. You kind of see where I'm going. Here's, here's how we are. If, if you come at me hard, I'm defensive. If you come at me with grace, I lean in. I remember one time a couple bought it, gave Annette and I an old car. It was a really old car with a lot of miles, but we needed a car desperately. And when they gave us that car, it was like they gave us a brand new car. Do you know that we spent years and years trying to repay those people for that car? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, let me say it this way. Since we've received grace, his grace, we are compelled to follow Jesus. Is there something in you that kind of wells up and says, God, when I think about how much you've done for me, how can I not serve you? When I think about how God has changed my heart, when I think about how God's forgiven me for my sin, when I think about how God has made me ready for heaven, I mean, how can I, not, how can I not respond with saying, God, surely there's something I can do for you. For Paul, that was his response. In his mind, faithfulness was required. You know what he actually says one time? Woe to me if I don't preach this gospel. I mean, when I think about everything you've done for me, God, how could I not do something back for you? Dr. Busick quotes Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest little books you've ever read. And the book is called The Cost of Discipleship. And Bonhoeffer says, one can say they are justified by grace alone as a gift from God. But the fruit, you hear me? But the fruit of a justified life is what? is the one who has left all and followed Christ. If my heart has truly been changed, if I've truly been transformed, if I love where I used to hate, if I'm kind where I used to be unkind, if there's grace where there was judgment, and how can I not respond? So I think this is one of those moments where you pull up a chair and I sit down and you and I just have a talk, okay? So in 1970, a pastor came to this church named Ponder Gilliland. When I asked how many of you were here when Ponder Gilliland was the pastor, hundreds raised their hand in the first service. How many of you, this is a younger crowd, there would be a few. I see a few back through there. I don't know how many people who attend this church now tell me that when Ponder Gilliland was the pastor of this church from 1970 to 1985, it was life-changing for me because he preached a message of grace. I had heard very little. It changed my view of God, and it changed how I lived my relationship with God, in relationship with God. So here's where I think the talk comes in. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and, and although you've heard the truth in God's word, and, and you might even say, I believe it's true, 
But if you're really trying to get better and trying to clean up your life so that you can get good enough for God to accept you, then you say you believe one thing in your head, but you're living another thing with your life. It's a lie of the enemy. He's trying to keep you out. If you are a follower of Jesus and you say, I, I believe, you know, I, I believe we're saved by grace. But there's a gap between what you say you believe in your head and how you're actually living your life. You're actually living trying to say that I'm, I'm just trying to do enough and be good enough and all of that. And so you're living your life not out of gratitude for what he has done for you, but you're living your life out of obligation. I got to do this. I should do this. I should do this. Can't do that. Can't even do that. Sure can't do that. I'm obligated to do these things and not do these things. Let me just tell you something. You're going to tire. And you're going to fail because none of us live out of obligation very effectively. And so what if, what if you begin to live instead out of gratitude? I serve him because I love him. I serve him because he's been so good to me. I serve him because he changed my life. I serve him because he made me ready for heaven, not so I can go to heaven. He has already saved me. But I serve out of a heart of gratitude. What if we really believed, began to believe this idea, this concept of amazing grace? And we lived like we believed it. So I want to pray for you. Father, this morning there's a concept that we try to grasp. It sounds too good and seems too good to be true. In our relationships with one another, there's not enough grace. And so we have to adjust the way we think to understand your grace. And so for the person who does not profess to be a Christian but is trying to get good enough, would you set them free from this lie? And give them the courage to come to Jesus just like they are. And for the person who is living this journey with you, help them to live that journey out of gratitude and not out of obligation. Giving thanks and praise every day for the fact that they are saved. So we're going to sing in a moment. And um, if you attend here, you know that we're really comfortable with altars and praying. Really about anything. And so if this morning um, at prayer time you were wishing you could come to the altar, you could come now. Because you're going through some heavy stuff. Or if this morning you want to receive, accept God's grace, this gift 
of forgiveness. You can come and receive it. There will always be pastors who will be ready to pray for you when you come, if you want them to pray with you. And today, if you've been living out of obligation, ask God to set you free from that lie and live out of gratitude for his grace. Let's sing together.
are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns unending. our God. Amen. So freely giving of that unmerited favor in our lives. Such amazing, amazing grace. I don't know what your story is today, your testimony, what God brought you through, what he's leading you into, but I'm so grateful for his amazing grace my own life thankful for what he's brought me from we love you Lord and we've said that through the reading of your word and the processing of what you're telling us today we've said that through the songs that we've sung today we love you we love you so much and we're so grateful for the grace that you've poured out upon all of us and made available to us today. Thank you, Lord. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. We thank you for being here today. Pray God's blessings upon you as you leave this place. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.